Hey everybody, welcome to episode 38 of the Bomber Brothers Podcast, part of the Pinstripe Alley community of podcasts. Sean and Ryan here with you, as always. Um, there's a signing to talk about, there's a official announcing of a signing to talk about with Garrett Cole's press conference yesterday as we record on a Thursday morning, and also had Brett Gardner coming back on a one-year deal, so... That seemingly no-brainer move has now been locked up, so it feels like uh, feels like Sean another another solid week in the off season for the Yankees, which is again a, a a far cry from from many weeks that we felt last winter. Even though it wound up being a successful one with with Lemayhew and um, and trading for James Paxton, but this one definitely has more of an obvious. Like the Yankees are going for it, the Yankees are are winning the winter kind of feel. Well, like we talked about last week, they they dropped the big hammer this this off season, which is very exciting. And you know, we recorded last Wednesday night, and then Thursday comes out that the Guardy party uh, continues, which I think we were all expecting and we're all excited about. The contract is good for Gardner, I think. I was happy for him, and probably good for the Yankees too, because he's he's brought a lot of value to the team over the years, and. Um, you know, with guys like Hicks and Stanton, who do get injured quite a bit, it seems, um, having a durable guy like Gardner, which he's been throughout his career, um, is a huge plus. And, and, you know, you lose Didi and CeCe's leadership in the clubhouse and you get to keep a guy like Gardner, which, I mean, I know we were kind of like wondering what the heck's going on. They, they're taking a while, but well, we know now, so it's all good. But um, I'm really excited Gardner's back and got even more excited with that cold press conference yesterday. I thought, excuse me, for a guy taking $324 million, he, he aced it as genuine as he could have, brought the sign, um, talked a lot about being a Yankee fan growing up and said all the right things, you know, thanking, thanking Miller and Flood and, and in his opening statement, I thought was really nice touch as did pretty much everybody else. And uh, it was a really good, uh, really good press conference. But what were your takeaways uh, from what Mr. Cole had to say yesterday? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the sign was, was the coolest part. I think the funniest part was the, uh, the debate that it caused oh, on yeah. social media. Well, I mean, you have an <laughs> Astro and signs. It's, it's just, it's natural. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's obviously some, some fading that probably went on in the, what is it, 18 years since that World Series um, where he was holding the sign. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, was a, it, was a cool, it was a cool press conference. I mean, it's just there was added excitement already because this feels like one of the biggest free agent signings the Yankees have ever made. It is the biggest sign in terms of dollars. Um, but, I mean, even, even CC Sabathia in, in 2008 after what he did – carrying the Brewers to the playoffs, pitching on three days rest. Um, this this still feels like this was the biggest splash Cashman has ever made in the in the pitching market. So it was kind of cool to be watching the press conference just because of that kind of um, historic value that it had. But then you but then you hear everything he had to say. I, I thought mentioning Miller and Flood was really cool. Obviously, bringing the sign was was awesome, and saying I'm here. I've always always been here. Um, talking to Jack Curry and Bob Lorenz after the formal part of the press conference, and just talking to them about how um, 
the impact of, of Andy Pettit being there and just that kind of coming full circle thing. You know, he had that sign when he went to game six of that World Series when Pettit was on the mound, who was one of his favorite pitchers growing up. Of course, Pettit got rocked that night, but um, but he showed Ironically, up. Ironically, he was tipping his pitches. Yeah, but he showed up, but he showed up big uh, for the Cole meeting, clearly. I mean, he, he definitely seemed to have an impact on him. And then I loved what Cole said um, to Jack and Bob um, in that same interview about his his thirst for knowledge with his, um, you know, advanced and underlying statistics that have helped him turn into a superstar. And, and, you know, hopefully he, he's able to help pass that information on to, uh, other arms in, in the rotation. So I, I think it's, it seems like a, a JD Martinez situation where he kind of brought that desire to learn to the Red Sox and helped, turn Mookie Betts back into a superstar and, and help other hitters in that lineup. So maybe that's something we'll see with the Yankees pitching staff. I'm so glad you said that because that was actually one of the only things I prepped for today's episode was I was thinking about Gary Cole's repertoire and I'm thinking, who does it, who does it almost mirror? And in my mind, it popped up Luis Severino, right? Fastball slider change. I know uh, Cole throws a curveball and uh, Severino doesn't, but um you know, Severino has goes to his change more than Cole does, but since they have similar repertoires and Severino seems like pretty good kid, likes to learn and everything like that, I think Cole can have a huge impact on Severino. And just given from what you've heard about how intellectual Cole is and, and what, what kind of teammate he is, and, and I mean, what CeCe thinks about him says a lot to me. And um, I, I would expect Cole not only to pitch well, but I would expect Severino to to kind of absorb some of that from Cole and maybe take a leap forward next year uh, back to the picture we saw throughout most of 2017 and the first half of 2018, because having a guy like this, one is going to take pressure off Severino and two is going to help him hone his craft and, and become a better pitcher. So um, I'm glad you brought that up because that was something I was looking at. Um, just, I was looking on fan graphs at their pitch type percentage and they are pretty similar, but um, you know, obviously Cole has, has had more time and, and and been exposed to the Astros pitching gurus or pine tar or whatever they use over there. And, um, and you know, it's helped them. So, I, yeah, I think it's going to be a, a good fit, I think, you know, not only with the, with the knowledge, but, I mean, you think about it now. If you're going to a Yankee game, you're going to see Cole, Severino, Paxton, or Tanaka pitch and, you know, whoever their fifth starter winds up being, and we could get to that in a little bit. But, I mean, four out of five days, you're going to see a guy that, you know, I think we all go to war for, right? Like, these are all guys that when you show up to the ballpark, you're happy that they're pitching. Yeah. The first four games I went to last year, three of them were pitched by Jay Happ. So this is going to be amazing. Well, the last one was pretty good. I mean, when we went to that (laughs) game against the Blue Jays, he only gave up two runs in like six innings. It was fine. Yeah. I know. On Happ, like, people were comparing him to uh, Sonny Gray. Got a little flack for my comparing, tweet about comparing him to Sonny Gray, like like their their tenure flopped in, in New yeah. York. I just I don't think that's fair because Sonny Gray never got it going in 2017. He pitched okay, um, but Hap carried the Yankees down the stretch in 2018. They might have been playing that wild card game in Oakland if it wasn't for Hap going yeah, no, I, I, nine and one down the stretch there. And you know I also think he had a good second half last year. It's just he had a terrible first half. And the Yankees offered him a ton of money. What was he going to do, not take it? I mean, he, he, he came over to New York in the trade, proved he could pitch in New York, 
had one bad playoff start. But other than that, in 2018, he was he was the man. And what are you going <laughs> to what are you going to do? Turn down an AAV of 17 million dollars when you're 36 years old? Who would do that? I hope nobody. Would. Yeah, I hope nobody would turn it down. Um, I mean, doesn't make any guess, sense, Michael. I, I guess the sunny the sunny gray point. I mean, I actually thought he pitched pretty well when he first got to New York. His defense behind him was just dreadful for whatever reason. I mean, baseball randomness, whatever it was, the defense was just not showing up for him early on in in his stint. And then he wound up pitching okay in the ALCS. The, that was the game the Yankees made the comeback in, in Game Four. Mm-hmm. He pitched pretty well there. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think. I mean, you know, Sonny. He struggled really badly his his final season with the Yankees. But you know, sometimes it just doesn't work out, and sometimes guys just need a a change of scenery. That's yeah, really all that's there fair. is to it for me. That's fine. Um. All right, so what were we talking about? Oh, um, I, I, back to the press conference. I like when Brian Cashman took the podium and was kind of talking about the respect they've had for Cole from afar for a long time and, and how they admired the uh, like discipline and poise it took for a guy like Cole to turn down a, a draft pick by his childhood favorite team to go to UCLA and, and get that college education. Because, I don't know, he was just saying that, and, that put it into perspective for me, like, wow. I mean, if he grew up rooting for the Yankees on the level that we did and was able to kind of resist that urge to, you know, potentially better his life after and outside of baseball, like, that's that's pretty cool. I uh, I do not know. I, if I, obviously, I never had to worry about this in the slightest, but I don't, uh, I don't think I would have been able to do that. That's... Um, Definitely a, a grown-up move by a then very young Garrett Cole. Well, it just it shows you what what kind of disciplined uh, professional he is, and you know he, he takes it seems like he takes that to the mound, and I think what he put it perfectly: pressure is a privilege, right? He's not afraid to face pressure, tough decisions, or tough situations. He, you know, in his head keeps keeps calm and, and makes the rational decision rather than an emotional one, and sets himself up for success, both on the mound and, and off of it. So I think that speaks to his character and his maturity uh, at a young age. And um, I think where we where we go from here with that is that I expect him to be a big game pitcher in New York because he's, he's able to handle those situations with a calm head rather than one that is, you know, a bit uh, emotional or, or whatnot. Yeah, I think we saw that in his first – playoff game at Yankee Stadium in the ALCS. I'm, Without he, his best stuff. That's what I, yeah, that's what I was that's exactly what I was going going to allude to. He did not have his best stuff. He ran into a little bit of trouble early, but he got the outs when he needed to with the help of running into guys like Edwin Encarnacion when they were <laughs> when they were runners <laughs> in scoring position, but but he did what Verlander could not on the in game 5, which was get through that first inning before settling down and and um yeah, to his credit, he he did that and obviously got his team a huge win, which helped swing the series. So we've seen Cole at his most dominant in the playoffs when his stuff from the regular season that we saw all year was was all clicking for him. Um, I think we definitely saw that in the ALDS against Tampa. And then we saw him when all that stuff was was not there 
at its highest level, and he was still able to shut down one of the most potent offenses in the league. So just all of that, everything he said, his track record, it's all uh, really encouraging stuff. And again, we talked about this last week when when the Yankees made the signing, but this was, uh, I mean, as, as no-brainer as no-brainer gets. Yeah, I I agree. Um, I don't know. I just was so pumped up about it. I yesterday's press conference was as good as you could do for a press conference, and um, it just got everything off on the right foot. And now I can't wait for opening day. And I know we said that last week, but it's just this puts a charge into the fan base, and you could see it on Twitter. And I mean, we recorded Wednesday night. They got called Tuesday going into Wednesday, and on Wednesday at 10 a.m., the ticket rep that I dealt with for the uh, for the World Series tickets was like, "Hey, you want to you want to get a season plan, huh?" We got Cole, you know, <laughs> spelled Garrett Cole wrong, called him Garrett Cole, but I forgave him for that, <laughs> gave him my business anyway. So yeah, I mean, I'm pumped. I can't wait. Um, I don't know what else. What else is there to say about it? Like we talked about, he's going to impact the rotation, and we're the World Series favorites, and. What else you got on Mr. Cole? Anything? I, I like that he said he wants to get to thirty. Uh, that was that. That was exactly what I was about to say. Do you, what do you think? What are you looking into the crystal ball? Can Can Cole lead the Yankees to thirty? That's That's three World Series in his nine year deal. One every three years. Um, I don't know about. I don't know. I mean, this year is a good chance, but then next year everything changes because you lose Tanaka and Paxton, and Lemayhu is a free agent after this year. Correct. Yep. Right? They only signed to a tier deal. So a lot changes after this year. You never know. I, I, I'm i more hopeful that the Steinbrenners know where to invest in everything. And But, I mean, I'm hoping and and probable that this year is number one. So we'll yeah, see. I, I think, uh, I, honestly, I think that's where, like, the limit for me ends in terms of saying with confidence. I'm, I feel pretty confident that he'll get at least one. Um, I know we grew up in a different time when it seemed like the Yankees never lost, which took mm-hmm. a little while to kind of, you know, realize that that's not always how it's going to go. And in the wild card era, that's even more difficult. Um, so it's tough to say that a team could win three World Series in nine years. That's really, really hard, even but, even with this kind of roster. Yeah, but the nice thing is that for the next at least three years, they are built to win in the playoffs with two monster starters. They'll have... Garrett Cole and Luis Severino at the top of the rotation and a monster bullpen. So that, that, you know, when you, when you put that with the amount, with their savagery in the box, um, I think that you're going to, I I think that you're, 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 you're going to have success, but you know, I can't, I I don't want to guarantee it. And I think with the way the rotation sets up, for the postseason and the bullpen that takes pressure off the offense. I mean, we've seen situations where, you know, it seems like they press in the playoffs, but really you're just facing the best pitching. Well, we just stole one of the best pitchers. So it makes it a little easier, but I mean, if you're going into a game with Garrett Cole on the mound and a monster bullpen, you're going up there just saying, I just got to work my way on base and, and we'll scratch a run across. Eventually you're probably pretty relaxed going up there. Like just like, we don't have to do much today. Yes. <laughs> so I, I think that impacts the offense as well. It's almost like as much of the value of bringing Cole to New York was equaled by the thought that they don't have to face him twice in a, in a seven-game playoff series anymore. Yeah. That's like almost enough to justify signing him just to not have to face him anymore. 
Well, think about it. He goes up against Verlander in game one if you play the Astros in the ALCS or a Chris Sale if the Red Sox decide to spend money again or I don't know who else is in the American League that I'm afraid of. But The Rays. Oh, yeah. But, um, well, they got that slapdick prospect. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Who's inevitably going to become a oh, yeah, 100%. triple crown candidate. I'm telling the Rays are so much fun, like from a distance. I just wish they played in a good ballpark and had a good fan base. It'd be awesome. I know I've said yeah. that like four times this year, but it'd be so much fun. Like it'd be another Red Sox in the making of a, of a really fun rivalry. But um, anyway, or another Astros, I should say, but like an analytical organization on the up and coming. The, the Red Sox one runs deeper and can't be rivaled, but it is what it is. It, I mean, it'll be rivaled in the near future since they're, you know, trying to trade bets and, and, price and i hope the red sox don't trade price it's going to cost us like three wins next year i know i was thinking the same thing anyway so uh Gardy's back i know we just touched on that how do you how are you feeling about that i know i kind of gave my thoughts when i was rambling yeah no i i love it but the um they needed they needed outfield depth we don't know when hicks is going to come back how he's going to perform when he does stanton is probably going to need some uh, days at DH as is Aaron Judge. You got to keep those those legs fresh. So you need Gardner. You need Gardner out there. And I think it's. I still think it's incredible that he played 144 games last year. That is a. Uh, that's that's pretty wild. And that just shows you that maybe he's not aging as as rapidly as as usual. And I don't know if last year is going to be an outlier, but. A 109 WRC plus in the first half of the season, 124 in the second half. His his um, WOBA rose 20 points in the second half. He, I mean, the, his strikeout percentage rose 10 percent as well. But I mean, that's that was not the Brett Gardner we were used to seeing. You know, we were used to seeing him kind of hit a wall a little bit in, in the second half of the season. So this was a. Uh, I don't know, this was the perfect fit. Bring him back for a year. Try to try to get the longest tenured Yankee a, a ring, especially while he's clearly still productive. And, and that's just the offensive side of things. Um, he's been valuable on defense too. I think with um, I think with Gardner back, the with Judge Gardner and Talkman, the Yankees now have three of the uh, top ten outfielders in the league in terms of defensive WAR. I think that's right. I would have to double check that, but um, but regardless, bringing Gardner back shores up what should be a solid outfield defense, health permitting, of course. Yeah, I mean, even last year, which was a huge down year, especially in the first half for Gardner, he still put up two and a half, a little bit, two point six wins above replacement. So, I mean, even when he's not doing it on offense, he's doing it with the glove. So. Got to be, got to be happy there. And yeah, like you said, I'm really excited. You know, I was thinking about the outfield. Why? Do, I mean, what do you think? Why do they play Judge and right and Stanton and left? Shouldn't they switch them because Judge has better range and you um, know, it's more well, natural in Yankee Stadium anyway. Well, um, real quick, um, that was not the top ten outfielders in the league in defensive WAR that I saw. It was the top defenders overall in the American League East. Oh, and okay. Gardner Gardner was eighth. Okay, so that makes more sense. I said it out okay. loud, and then I was like, "Ooh, I don't know if all three of them were in the top ten in the league." But yeah, anyway. I wasn't going to challenge you. <laughs> but I was just going to let the fake news go on. 
Um, What's the difference these days? Yeah. Um, well, they can't. They would have to move the judges' chambers. I think that's. I think that's the issue. No, I, I really don't know. I mean, um, I'm just. I'm just thinking out loud. Like, no, it, know. it it makes it makes sense. Um, Stanton would have much less ground to cover in, in right field because it's just simply smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe the thinking is more long term, and they feel like Stanton is probably going to require more. DH time in the years to come than Judge, and they'd rather just keep Judge at the position they feel like he's going to spend most of his career. I don't know, but um, I think that would be interesting to try out. Stanton was a right fielder in the National League, a a cold glove candidate um, the year before he was traded. Not that that really means anything. Jeter won a lot of gold gloves, (laughs) but um, yeah, I don't know. That, That would be interesting. Yeah, but anyway, Gardner coming back, coming back answers a lot of those questions. I think you go into the outf- the the season now with your outfield is pretty set of Gardy, Stanton, um, Judge, and Talkman. Yep, and with then and Tyler Wade is as a as a backup, I assume. Yeah, Wade a backup. Frazier could be an option if he doesn't get dealt and um, He's does gone. does something with his defense. Although I don't think you're going to see him as a Yankee before opening day. Um, but even if you don't, you've got your you've got your four outfielders, your one emergency super Swiss Army knife in Tyler Wade, who hopefully can figure out um, things offensively soon, like the Yankees seem to hope he will. He showed um, some flashes last season compared to previous seasons. No, yeah, he did. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you've got those five names, and hopefully they can all hold up until, what, June or July or whatever it is when, when Hicks comes back. Mm-hmm. Hicks has already shown he can be uh, pretty valuable, even right when he comes back from an injury, even when it's completely out of nowhere and, and unexpected, like we saw in the ALCS last year. So hopefully they don't have to hold out too much longer than that once Hicks returns. So outfield looks in, in good shape. Infield could probably use one more depth piece. Would well, that's... it to be Didi, but... Yeah, oh, just... He looks good in the Phillies uniform, but I, I miss that guy. Yeah, already. Um, I, um, you know, the, the I, I read the more rumors about trades and stuff, and I, I'm having trouble wrapping a head around why they are talking about trading for a guy like Brandon Belt. Like, Voight was a monster until he got hurt, and he was a monster at the end of the year before that. Like, I don't, I don't see this glaring need for to get a left-handed first baseman like Belt or or any first baseman right now I mean I think you you'd be better served getting another infielder where you have a little more flexibility at short where you could play LeMahieu at first and and move Torres between short and second um but that's just me I I think I think you're fine with with Voight as your starting everyday first baseman and I mean I've always liked Brandon Belt from afar and I thought his career was kind of going the wrong way but I'm looking now and his hard hit rate last year was 40.7 percent 41.5 41.5 year before that, so that that's up from his career average. But well, so was I, everyone's probably last year. Yeah, <laughs> with that ball. But um, yeah, so that that surprises me. I know we've talked about how we like Boyd before, but I mean, do you think the Yankees need to get um, an? Where do you think the Yankees' next move is? I guess is my question. Should they be looking at? other options at first base or, or where where else would you make your next move? No, I'm fully on board with you. I would just try to find a little more versatile infield piece to 
to round out to round out the roster. I mean, it's you can draw a pretty clear line where Void's production fell off last year, and it was when he got hurt in London. I mean, after he got hurt on what his third double of the game in London that day before his season went went down the chute, and after that double, his WRC plus for the season was somewhere around 140. I mean, he was he was somehow almost replicating what he did down the stretch in, in 2018. He had been just as valuable. So I think he kind of showed that he is not some flash in the pan and that he was just dealing with a, a nagging core injury for the rest of the season. He pretty much came out and admitted that uh, not, mm-hmm. not too long ago, saying that you know he's making sure he's coming back 100%. He's not going to try coming back at 75%, which is a pretty obvious hint that that's what he was trying to do this year. So we've seen Voigt when he's healthy. No, he's not the best defender. Um, but again, we've seen what LeMayhew can do at first base. So if, if need be, you can you can move him over there when Voigt needs a day off, or or when um, or when you know there's a lefty heavy spot in the order coming up in later innings, and Britain's on the mound, and you're looking for ground balls, and you want to shore up that side of the infield. I, you know, you can do something like that. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm more looking to bring in a more versatile infielder that can maybe play third, short and second and, and see, see what kind of options are there. I'm not really on the, the Brandon belt wagon. Yeah. I just, I, I love my lefty hitters, but I don't think we need, uh, I don't think we need to touch first base. There's other areas. I'd love them for them to get in on the Lindor nonsense, but I don't yes. know if that'll happen. Um, what well, like off- reds are now. Yeah, the Reds are doing everything, man. Yeah, they have a hell of a pitching staff. They do, and they got Mustakas. So we'll see what happens. What would your offer be for Lindor? What would you put together? <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't. I really don't know if the Yankees do. The Yankees have enough high-level prospects to to make the deal. I mean, a lot of. You know, the Yankees farm system was one of the best in baseball a couple of years ago, but a lot of them have been used to get guys like um, like Paxton, and a lot of them have just now made it to the major leagues and are flourishing at that level. So a lot of their value right now is in the lower levels, which is kind of hard to sell for a superstar like Lindor. I mean, uh, I think you got. I think you start with Debbie Garcia and Miguel Andujar. Yeah, and that's still you would still need mo- much more than that. I think. Oh yeah, that's that's where you start. Yeah, and they're not taking Frazier back. A team's not going to take a, no. back a prospect they traded. They traded him for a reason. Um, yeah, but no, Garcia and and um, uh, Andujar is is yeah, that's like maybe the part that headlines a much bigger deal. But you you would have to you would Orioles have to do better than that. In, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean that's a move you make with the intention to extend him because um, mm-hmm. that's going to be the last move you make for a while while you rebuild your farm system. Yeah, if if, if the Yankees don't plan on extending Lemayhu after this season and and they feel like their middle infield of the future could be uh, Torres and and Lindor, then yeah, absolutely make that deal and, and extend Lindor. Mm-hmm. That would, yeah, be, cool that would that. be awesome. Cool. All right. I think that's all I had, but you told me last night we passed 10,000 listens last week, so thank you to to all of our listeners. Yes, as of... Uh, We're getting close to filling up the garden. <laughs> yeah. We can do of, a live show. As of, um, as of this morning, right before I 
got this fired up, we were about to hit 11,000. So, well, if, if people are listening this week, I was thinking we, we got a couple uh, a new review, which was cool. If you are listening and want to ask a question for, for Christmas, maybe we could do like a Christmas mailbag. If you leave a review with a question, we'll answer it next week. You want to do something like that? Or are you yeah. going to cut this out of the episode? Because I'm, I'm, I'm playing fast and loose as the wild card. <laughs> no, absolutely. Anyone that wants to leave a review will obviously see it. And, you know, you can talk about how amazing we are. And then at the end, you can add in your add in a question. And, and yeah, we can do a, a holiday mailbag next week. Hopefully we get some good responses. And hopefully we uh, reach a similar amount of of listeners we did last week. While, of course, I, I want to thank everyone that listened, we probably also should thank Garrett Cole because that's probably why a lot of people uh, tuned in as well. Everyone wants to get people's reactions after a historic splash like that. But um, that's Yeah, that's fair. But yeah, to everyone, to all the extra listeners, do do keep coming back for more of um, more of this expert analysis. We were the people that, that were um, very indifferent about the LeMayhew signing last offseason, so mm-hmm. we clearly know our stuff. I would say indifferent is is actually the, the wrong word. We were against. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't understand it. But, hey, that's why Cashman's Cashman, and we're not. So what are you going to so, do? Um, oh, oh. Uh, one more thing about the Garrett Cole press conference. What is with Hal Steinbrenner at these introductory press conferences just staring out into the abyss like he's being hypnotized or something? Did you see the pictures of his face? And do you remember his face at the Stanton one two off-seasons ago? He just has this face of like, oh, God, like I'm just thinking about all this money I got to pay this guy or like, or like something like that. His, his faces I- are hilarious. I haven't noticed. I've, I've only been going on social media for like quick reactions so I could try to avoid as much about the new Star Wars movie as I can. So I haven't dug that deep into it, but I will look it up uh, later tonight and see. But uh, I did see Cashman's kind of smirk when oh, he was yeah. like sitting back. That was that was a good one. Yeah. That, that, that was awesome. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. but to, to that point, um, I've actually been on Twitter as much as, as usual. I haven't hid from it. Um, I'm definitely scared about spoilers, but to everybody's credit, I have not seen one even minor spoiler so far. So, but yeah, you know, I, now that now that the movie is out tonight and we're getting closer to the release, I'll probably fade away from Twitter as we get to the afternoon hours. Yeah, I saw um, like somebody. I, I've been trying to avoid everything as possible, but when I looked on some one of the things, I have a bunch of stuff muted too. Um, I saw like a screenshot of like one person's like the the tomato meter, but I tried to get get, get it really quick. I forget what it was, um, and I'm not going to say it anyway. Oh yeah, I, I, I read a couple spoiler. Um, I, I don't. I, yeah, no, I don't want to know anything about even if people think it's good or not. I'm trying to avoid that. Um, I want to go in totally fresh because I went into the Last Jedi thinking it was going to be the greatest movie of all time, just judging by the reviews, and it was not. Um. So, I, you know, I just want to go in completely fresh, completely fresh. Well, and I am still in the minority, but I, I actually very much like The Last Jedi. There was one little side story in Canto Bite that I think could uh, be removed from the movie because I didn't care for it. But everything else with the, uh, with the main storyline and Luke, I, I really liked it. And I was really mad when the fan backlash happened because you knew that after 
Ryan Johnson made a movie that wanted to be different and unique, and then the fans hated it. Now I kind of feel like I'm going to go to a movie tonight and see nothing but fan service and cameos from the original and a cookie-cutter movie that's probably just nods to the original and, and nothing more, really. That's pretty much what I'm expecting now. Okay, but, I mean, I so far, my favorite movie probably that I've seen in the last three years in theaters has been Endgame. And that had a lot of fan service in it and a lot of winks at the camera and nods. And it was awesome. I mean, so if, if tonight's movie is like that, I'm cool with it. If they go in a different direction, I'll be cool with it, too. The stuff with Last Jedi I didn't like had nothing to do with them, as they've said 3,000 million times, subverting expectations. I thought the whole story with Luke was almost necessary. It kind of made me sad because... Um, I felt like in The Force Awakens, you got Han Solo back. Like It was like, this is Han Solo being Han Solo from the original trilogy. And with Luke, you never get that, but you can't get it. Because when he kills, I'm sorry, when he turns his father back to the light and, and, and you know, throws his lightsaber away, he's choosing a path of peace and, and, and whatnot. So, you, you know, you, you, you can't get that back. I get it. Um, but, yeah, the, they're just... Watching it again on Sunday night, I definitely appreciated the movie and liked it a lot more. And um, I think I'll probably be moving it up in my rankings, which I have on my blackboard in my kitchen. <laughs> which, um, yeah. yeah. But I'm, I'm excited for tonight. I guess that's what we're both looking forward to. Yeah, uh, I, I feel like we don't even need to do that that segment. Yeah. There's no other option as big Star Wars fans as we are. What uh, what, what time are you going to movies? Uh, I'm seeing it at 10.30. I would have loved to go to an earlier one, but I guess work has to come first. So 10.30, I will be there. Oh, so I'm seeing it at 6, so I'll be out in time. Um, Do you want me to text you my opinion, or do you want me to just stay silent? I would rather you just not even say anything, and then we can talk about it the next morning. That's that sounds good. Well, you're gonna be sleeping in pr- pretty good, I would assume. No, if you're I'm not. not. I have uh, Rocky's got a vet appointment at 9 a.m. tomorrow morning, so. Oh, geez, that's rough. It's a quick turnaround, day game after night game. Yep. Um, cool. Well, I mean, we'll see how it is. Do you have any uh, any predictions? Not not spoiler influenced if you've seen anything, but do you have any predictions for how the the Skywalker saga ends? Um, I have not seen the slightest thing of a spoiler, so I'm, this is completely in the dark. But my one of my most confident predictions is that J.J. Abrams is going to ignore Ryan Johnson's um, backstory on Ray and probably make her parents something more significant, which I feel like makes the Star Wars galaxy a little smaller, and I really don't want them to do that, but I still feel like that's going to happen. Um, another prediction would be that one of Finn or Poe is going to die. Wow, dark for a Disney movie. Yeah. I mean, they killed off Han Solo, but he was an old man. Yeah. And, and, and for, you know, I'm, I'm giving J.J. Abrams crap right now, but that scene was so well done. That was awesome. I mean, it, it sucked to see Han die, but I thought that was great how, how, how they did it. I think, I mean, there was a lot I didn't like with The Force Awakens. And, and I mean, I, I, I'm just so uptight about, like, if you say that you have 30 seconds to do something and the movie takes two minutes to do it, I'm going to not be able to move past that for a while. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's, I love The Dark Knight Rises, but... When you think about how he got into Manhattan or, or Gotham when it was completely closed off to the rest of the world, and when you think about he had, what, like 13 seconds to get a freaking nuke out of out of range yeah. in like a little hovercraft. I mean, it's not like a jet. 
Yeah. Well, you have to remember earlier in the movie when the doctor is talking about the bomb, it's not like a fully powerful nuke. It has a blast radius of, I think it was six kilometers. So it's not. I'm going to round six kilometers to five miles. Yeah. So I think that I think his ship can go pretty fast to get it. Even if he was going 120 miles an hour, (laughs) he'd have two and a half minutes. And sneaking into the city, I think that's one of the more believable parts. It's freaking Batman. You know what the other thing I don't like about it is in The Dark Knight, which is one of my favorite movies ever. They say like the perfect movie. Yeah, that was the most fun I ever had going to movies. They say that. When, when, like, they're trying to evacuate the city after the Joker's, you know, the, the end scene when they, they have the thing, they say, like, the, you know, the bridges and tunnels, they're afraid to take them. And they say there's people on the ferries, but they say the land routes east are clogged up. So there's land routes out of Gotham, but in Dark Knight Rises, there's only bridges and tunnels. So, like, you know. Maybe there was, maybe they realized that those land routes weren't good evacuation and they needed to build more bridges instead. Yeah, but there'd still be a land route there. What'd they do? Dig up the... Um, I know. I was just kidding. They they, they could have done some, like... Uh, you know, I, I guess they, they could have just had the Joker... I'm sorry, uh, Bane, like, blow a hole into, like, the, the ground and flood it or something. I don't know. <laughs> something yeah. needed to happen there. But anyway. So, yeah. So that was my problem with The Force Awakens. It's like, the weapon's going to fire in 30 seconds. And, like, three minutes later, you still have Luke and Rey... I'm sorry, uh, Rey and Kylo fighting out in the woods... Well, I think the concept of that is that they're trying to show all these simultaneous things happening, kind of like the end of Phantom Menace, where you had, you know, the space battle with young Anakin blowing up the the um, shield generator for the droids with the battle with the Gungans, and then you had, um, you, you know had what always takes, <laughs> you know what takes me out of that scene? You ever notice there's one of those pilots from Naboo that has the thickest New York accent? <laughs> the deflector shield is too strong. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I know what you mean, but it was just, you know, the way they cut it was not not intuitive, I guess, is what, uh, what I will say. But anyway, I, I mean, I thought Abrams did a great job with the Star Trek movies that he did. I thought he did a um, good job with Mission Impossible. So we'll see. I'm excited for tonight. Yeah, no, I'm excited, too. It will. Uh, it's weird going to uh, what's probably going to be the end of this saga that we've followed since we were kids oh yeah although it's funny george lucas's initial plan was for this to be 12 movies so who knows we could get another trilogy in a couple decades well yeah i guess but apparently this is the end of the skywalker saga according to them but they might want money and do it again so who knows but yeah no i mean when we saw when i saw episode seven i definitely um after seeing the trilogy, the prequel trilogy, I never thought we'd get a new one, and uh, definitely was emotional the first time you see the long time ago when the music kick in. So, yeah, we'll see. I'm uh, I'm interested uh, about what's going to happen, and uh, I don't think they'll go as dark as killing uh, killing a young Poe, or well, maybe they'll kill Poe because they were going to kill him in the first one, but then Oscar Isaac asked J- JJ not to kill him, so maybe <laughs> that's a, that's that's good, but I don't know. My prediction is, one, that the um, the Force First Order is going to somehow infiltrate C-3PO, and in like he'll be like unknowingly working as a spy, sort of like recording them or something, and they're going to have to wipe his memory to do that. And that's why that in all like the promotional stuff that 3PO's in, it's very sad, you know? Yeah. I, did, did you unearth the secret Amazon thing, by the way, the secret Amazon trailer? 
No, I didn't know there was. If, There's if you a sneak just, peek on Disney Plus that I watched. I saw that. That was kind of cut weird, wasn't it? it like was I felt very like it was weird. <laughs> yeah, it was like jumping really quick to Poe in the like to uh, Finn in the the chair. Like yeah. he makes like a weird. I don't know. I was like I was like it was weird, but the action was good. So we'll see. But um, if you type hashtag, the force will be with you always. All is one word into the Amazon search bar. You'll get a special preview. And in that, C-3PO says to R2, you know, R2, you, you've been a very good friend, my best one, in fact. So they're really they're really uh, telegraphing hard something with C-3PO. So I think they're going to have to wipe his entire memory because I don't think they'll kill – you can't kill C-3PO. I mean he got blown into a thousand pieces by the Empire and Empire, and he was fine. So I think they're going to have to wipe his memory, and I think that um, you're going to get Anakin come back as a Force ghost and try to tell Kylo – you know, I was wrong. I shouldn't have been Darth Vader. But Kylo won't take the won't won't listen to reason, and uh, they're going to have to fight to the death because Kylo's just too evil. Yeah, that, that, that's my most be. my most confident prediction is there's no Kylo won't be turned back. He you you can't kill Han yeah. Solo if he turns back. I'm just going to be like I'm always going to have my eye on him. I will I will, I will hate the movie if he does that 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 is one of those like um, storyline choices that would destroy an entire movie like you, you you can't do that i'd be very mm -hmm. mad what if they, he goes the vader route and dies as he turns back well vader still did something good before he died like i don't i wouldn't That's i don't want, I, mean. if, I don't know i don't want i don't want to see that maybe if like kylo's killed by ray like when they're fighting and then once he goes down he like says something like that's fine but i don't really want I don't want to see that again. I want like that's yeah. why I liked Last Jedi. I want to see some some new some new arcs for these for these new characters. Well, the other thing that, and I'm sorry, we're taking so much time on this. I guess people probably have turned this off if they're not Star Wars fans by now. Hey, but R2 the C2 does it. <laughs> the, yeah, the other the other thing that I'm um, I'm thinking about is if the Emperor is back in some pseudo Force ghost way, kind of in between world. They're going to have to eliminate him in some way, right? Otherwise, he would just keep coming back and we keep having the story. So I think you have to have the Force Ghost of Anakin Skywalker somehow in this to shut the Emperor down. Because otherwise, you're completely invalidating the end of Return of the Jedi, where Darth Vader, who is turned to the dark side by the Emperor, rises up and kills the Emperor, turning back to good. If the Emperor just comes back, then that's not really as a dramatic of a moment. So you're in a tough spot, but we'll see. You're I, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm really excited. Uh, I, I actually woke up in the middle of the night and I started thinking about it and I didn't fall back to sleep because <laughs> I was pretty pumped up. I guess I guess the last thing I'll say is that this is supposed to close the entire Skywalker saga and the entire Skywalker story is built on this prophecy that Anakin is supposed to bring balance to the Force. So my biggest concern is how this movie is going to either water that down or or hopefully reinforce it because there needs to be a way that Anakin plays a part, like maybe coming back as a force goes, like you said, but if it ends with anything other than Anakin doing something to kind of bring this to a conclusion, then it's like this prophecy that we heard about for so many movies was just meaningless. But Yoda even says that it's a prophecy, a prophecy that misread it could have been. So, yeah, I mean, th they've casted doubt on that anyway. So uh, we'll see. All right. Well, that's a, that's enough Star Wars talk on this Yankees podcast. But the Yankees are the evil empire again, so, so this mm -hmm. is fitting. But, um, 
yeah, if anyone is going to see it tonight, I hope you enjoy it. I'm sure it will be incredibly divisive, and fans will have all these differing opinions, and there will be all kinds of arguing, but it seems like that's just the nature of Star Wars, because everyone's so passionate about it. So, above all, I just hope everyone enjoys it, and um, enjoys the holidays as well, and we will uh, we'll talk to you next week. Let's go Yankees, and may the Force be with you.